this is just a, a simple children's song. God said it, I believe it. Oh, let's not lose, let's not lose focus of that truth all through our life. Because as life goes on, you will be challenged with many quote-unquote truths. And the real key as to what you believe is, what has God said? What has God said? It is very important to know what God has said and to go back there and to believe it. Thank you, Ethan. We'll slip over to Acts chapter 13. Last week we looked at this chapter, and um, this morning I'd like to begin off by asking you from last week's lesson and hopefully from your reading and meditation during the week and follow-up, um, what lessons, what practical applications can we learn from Acts chapter 13? And again, some questions to put out there for you. Are there examples to follow? Are there commands to obey? Are there errors to avoid? Are there sins to forsake? Are there promises to claim? Are there new thoughts about God? Are there principles to live by? And so looking at Acts chapter 13 last time, what, what are some of the answers to those questions, the ways we can apply this in our own lives? Anybody have any thoughts to start off? Well, as you're skimming over that, I'd like to share with you one that is for me, and that is in verse 43. In verse 43, you know, we have Paul and, Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, and it tells us at the end of verse 43 that Paul and Barnabas were speaking to the Jews and the religious proselytes, those who were already believers, and he was speaking to them and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Many of us here this morning are Christians. We have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've received his grace. You know, we could look at this verse every single morning and ask God to help us in that. This is a way to live, to continue in the grace of God. doesn't matter what I'm facing. I could have some struggles as a parent. I could have struggles as a kid obeying. I could have struggles of fear. I could have struggles of thinking I got it all under control. No matter where I am in whatever day I'm in, I can find encouragement here, and I would pray that I be persuaded, as these people were persuaded, oh, 2,000 years ago, to continue in the grace of God, that I, too, continue in the grace of God. So that's the one verse, the one passage that just really stood out to me. And part of what we're doing here and trying to do is that, you know, as we read our Bibles, oftentimes we just read it and we think of it as history. But are there some examples to follow? This is a great example to follow. To me, myself, today, be persuaded to continue in the grace of God. Any of you, anything that stood out to you in the lesson last week or in the week in thinking of it, Ms. Folds? Mm -hmm. And that made me start thinking about just what you were saying about when you're concerned or whatever. I tend to go to fear. <laughs> and so 
Amen. Amen. She mentioned verse 30, the phrase, but God. No matter what she's tempted to fear, but God, she can trust in him. Wonderful. Yes, thank you. Any other observations, thoughts? May I bring your attention to verse 46? It says, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. And if we keep on looking through here, we find other boldness. I think it's very important for all of us in our lives to realize that we need the Spirit of God to be bold, to say and do what is right. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to say and do what's right. So we need boldness. And uh, here we see this boldness for them to speak. Really, they had to speak some hard truth to these people. And sometimes it's hard, hard to speak truth because you're afraid what they might do to you. And, and so it's, it's a little bit hard. But um, here they waxed bold and spoke the truth. Um, and just so you know, Paul and Barnabas, if we continue on down through here, we find out that there was a persecution raised against Paul and Barnabas, such they were expelled. And that's what the consequences were, you might say, for being bold in speaking the truth. And so may that be an encouragement to us as Christians, however it is, to be bold to speak the truth even if the consequences are persecution. And I say that generically. And this is where application gets hard. Um, this week I had an experience where there was a, a, a Bible translation that was trying to bring application. And sometimes it's difficult to put an application in because when you put an application in there, it's like, oh, well, that applies to me or that doesn't apply to me. And yet there's a whole realm of application that could be there. And so it's sometimes a hard thing to make a very specific application and, and without causing us to overlook all the other applications that can be made of a passage. And so here in this, that's, that's a really important part of this. We want to look for all the applications, and that's why each of us have to look at that for yourselves. Anyone have any observation? Ethan. Convicting and blaspheming. Um, I, I've had a couple situations where I, or I was talking with a few people, and uh, they, no matter what kind of arguments I gave, uh, evidence I gave, they just didn't want to believe, they just, they say it's all fake, and so it's a, uh, I'm sure Paul was a very well-spoken person, he was trained by the best, and yet he couldn't get through to them no matter what kind of uh, evidences or uh, arguments he gave, so I, I feel like uh, 
uh, from my what I learned from it was that it doesn't matter exactly all the knowledge and all the things that you can present to them, but it's only by the grace of God that uh, they they will see or they, they can see through their blindness. Yes. Yes. So real, and that and that helps to take the pressure off of you, right? It's God that does the work. God that does the work. Thank you, Ethan. Anyone else? Anything to share from the lesson last week from this chapter? Well, let me encourage you. We're going to go this morning on into chapter 14. And um, I'd like us to get into the habit of, of looking for these applications for ourselves and to spend more time together at the beginning of Bible Hour to just kind of flash back. And um, that means that really one of the designs of Bible Hour is not just to come and open your Bibles and read the passage and go on. But the goal here is for us to have both in Bible Hour and all of the preaching and teaching of the church is for you to hear what is here and then to go back home and to continue on in it, to, to read through it again, to think about it, to seek to apply it in your lives and for us all together as a body, as a family. And then it's also really important for you to have conversations as families in following up, helping moms, dads, helping children to see the passages to look for the truths, the commands to obey, and for us to share together as families these things. And then when we can come together as a body here, we can share those with others and encourage. So that really the principle of it is so that what we have learned from the Spirit of God in our own lives, we share with our family, and then we share with our bigger family. And um, that's going to help everyone in growing. And as more mature Christians, those who have many years of walking with Christ and in his word, can share things they have learned over many years with those who may only have known the Lord for a short time or don't know how to walk with the Lord or how to apply truth. And this is a way that we can help each other, both as parents with their children and then as a whole us as a body. So let's be looking. How do we take this history? And what are the lessons? What are the practical applications of all of it? It's so very important. Well, we're in Acts chapter 13 and going into 14. This is the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, they're going forth. And as we saw last week and saw in this chapter, they're, they're their primary purpose is to go forth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, just to set you in the timeline here, this chart we've all seen before. I shouldn't say we've all seen it. We saw it last week, and several years ago we went through it as we went through the book of Acts. And I just want to put it before you to place you again. We're in the first missionary journey right there. And we started off, you remember, in the city of Antioch, Antioch of Syria, and they went over to the island of Cyprus, that beautiful island. There they went across that island, preaching the gospel from one end to the other. They came to the other side where they found the ruler, the governor of the island. They were able to preach to him. You remember they were resisted there by that sorcerer whom God caused Paul to to rebuke, and he actually was struck with blindness, and they can, which really got the attention of a lot of people, particularly the governor, and it's a beautiful account of how the gospel spread on the island of Cyprus. Then Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they traveled up north to the main continent. They come to Perga. That's where we find John Mark departs, went back to Jerusalem. They went from Perga on up to 
Antioch of Pisidia, the northern Antioch. There they began to preach in the synagogue to the Jews. And you remember that as he recounted the history of the Jews, and he climaxed with the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham, being that the great son of David had come, Jesus had come, and Jesus was the one who had died, was buried, and rose again. And you remember that there were some Jews who were like, hmm, this is interesting. And there were some Jews, no, oh, no, this isn't so good. And the Gentiles, it ended up resulting in the following week, the whole city coming together to heal here, Paul and Barnabas. And that's where the Jews, some of the Jews, got really upset with Paul because they were like, what kind of popularity he's got? Which is a dangerous thing. Popularity is a dangerous thing. Because it's kind of interesting here that we have this whole city who thinks he is popular, and Paul and Barnabas speaks the truth to them. And if you look through here, you'll find in verse 48 of chapter 13 that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Here is a theological concept that's important to notice the balance of it. Do you notice here we see those who were ordained to eternal life? believed. We see both here the sovereignty, the election of God, as well as the human personal responsibility of man put right in the text of Scripture, parallel with one another. Those who were ordained to eternal life believed. And it tells us the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. I hope that's true for us. Are we publishing the word of God throughout all the region. I don't think this was just Paul and Barnabas. This wasn't just the pastors, the elders. This was that multitude who were ordained to eternal life, who believed, who were part of spreading abroad, publishing abroad throughout all the region. It's very important for us to recognize, again, as we talked a few weeks ago, that being sent is something that is true for every Christian. Jesus sends us forth. Every Christian is sent forth. Yes, some are sent on special missions to special places, but all of us are sent day by day out to be publishing the word of the Lord. Let's keep faithful in that. But alas, verse 50, those Jews, they stirred up the people. They stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, the influential, the powerful, and they raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And so Paul and Barnabas there were banished from this city, from this region. And it tells in verse 51, they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. Now that's a weird thing, isn't it? Shook off the dust of their feet. Well, it was a sign against them. It was a sign. Jesus had spoken of this as a sign that when there are those who won't believe, you shake off the dust of your feet as a sign against them that they are responsible for the judgment that will fall upon them. And it tells us the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Speaking of practical application here, brothers and sisters, this is how we need to live every day every day. You may look at it and say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you a little hint of something. Did you know that in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be filled, and it's in the imperative, 
Now, some of you are learning grammar. Imperative means that it is a command. It is an order. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means we are supposed to obey it. We're supposed to obey it. Well, what does it mean? Really, in the most simplest way I can describe it, it means letting God have his way with me. Letting the Holy Spirit live in and through me. Letting my thoughts be controlled, influenced by the Spirit of God. Letting my actions be controlled by the Spirit of God. Letting God live my life, or rather, Christ's life, through me. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And you will be filled with joy. One of the greatest things in life to help is that when you don't have joy, it means that the Holy Spirit of God is being quenched. Now, some people might say, ooh, that's pretty harsh. You're right. Now, notice I said joy, not happiness. Happiness has to do with our circumstances, the happenings around us. You might look at this and say, this does not look very happy. And it wasn't. These guys have a persecution against them. They're kind of leaving, but kind of leaving for their lives. But yet they are filled with joy, with joy. In the midst of whatever our happenings are, we can have joy. So let's not lose focus of that. And when we're lacking in joy, let's think, how and in what ways am I quenching the Spirit and not being filled with Him? You know what it is sometimes? I'll speak for myself. It's sometimes that I like to hold on to those things I fret over. Can I be blunt? How stupid of me. That's like the stupidest thing I could do is to hold on to the things that I want to fret over. That steals my joy. Those are the things that I entrust to God through prayer and yielding to Him, and I can find joy in the midst of it. Well, we continue on in this missionary journey, for it says in verse 1 of 14, and it came to pass in Iconium, so they travel from Antioch of Pisidia over to Iconium, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. Well, what did they speak? We find out from the previous chapter repeatedly. They were speaking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And a great multitude believed. But not everyone believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Just as Ethan was sharing earlier, not everybody's going to believe. That doesn't change the truth. As, as Brother Toole shared earlier, the truth doesn't change whether or not you believe it. Don't be discouraged by it. Continue on. Even if the unbelieving stir up others, in this case the Gentiles, the Jew, unbelieving Jews stir up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. That's a hard thing to overcome when people have just evil intended against you. 
sometimes we call it bad faith. They, they ever, you can't do anything right. Here, in this case, they're actually causing great trouble. But in spite of that, verse 3, long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. There's that word bold again, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This was in the early part of the church. And as we find out from Hebrews, God had granted sign miracles, miracles authenticating that this, what was new, was ordained of God. And here this was granted to these. But in spite of all of that, verse 4, the multitude of the city was divided. And the part held with the Jews and the part with apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it. They found out about it. So here now, here they are preaching. And there's a problem. There's a conspiracy against them to use them spitefully. There's a conspiracy to stone them. Paul and Barnabas are aware of it. And I want you to look closely at what they did. Did they build themselves a bunker? Arm themselves to the teeth? No. They fled unto Lystra and Derby. We actually find this example set forth over and over in the acts of when the persecution comes. It resulted in a scattering. And so here, Paul and Barnabas, they leave Iconium. They flee because they're going to get stoned. And they go to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Iconium, and the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. You see here, this is the missionary. The missionary, what's his purpose? What's his goal? He's going forth preaching the gospel. People are hearing. And it tells us that there was a certain man who was sitting near the gate of the city of Lystra who heard Paul and Barnabas. This man was impotent in his feet. He could not walk. He was a cripple from his mother's womb. He had never walked. And everybody in Lystra knew this. But this same lame, impotent man, he heard Paul speak, who then Paul, looking steadfastly, beholding him, perceived that he had faith to be healed. And so Paul said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And here this man, who had never walked, had been lame from his mother's womb, it says that he leapt and walked. Now, if you were there and you had seen this man day by day, sitting there by the gate lame, and now on this day you hear Paul say to him just the words, stand up and walk, and this guy jumps up immediately and walks, would that have a profound influence on you? It sure would on me. It did on all of the people. They saw this. Wow. You know, some of you are sitting out here and you're not quite sure. You're just, you're just giving me blank looks. Um, you know, it's no surprise you read this before, maybe. This is impressive, and this isn't some kind of charlatan show either. This has actually happened. This is quite amazing. What would be your response if you were there? What would you have done? 
You don't have to answer that question, but think about it. What would you have done if you were there? Well, wait till you hear what the people around did. Why, here they see this happen, and they see this lame man leap up and walk, and it says that when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying the speech of Lyaconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They were declaring Paul and Barnabas as gods. Now here is one of the biggest struggles missionaries have. Paul and Barnabas didn't understand a word of it. Here all of these people are declaring them to be gods, and it starts to spread. And I imagine Paul and Barnabas, they were standing there saying, these people are believing the gospel. Look how excited they are about the gospel. I don't know if that's what was really going on. But as I, as I experience sometimes not understanding a clue of what's going on and trying to piece together what I think is going on, um, you know, I might have heard the word God and thought, oh, yes, these people are starting to believe in the true God. How exciting. But it wasn't exciting. For they were declaring Paul and Barnabas to be gods come down to be with them. And Paul and Barnabas didn't at the clue. It's, it's implied here, had no idea what was going on at the beginning. Well, it continues on, and, and they decided to call Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because, you know, apparently these gods in their mythology were special in certain ways. And, you know, according, one of them must have been a chief speaker, so Paul must be that one. And so then the priest of Jupiter, the priest of Jupiter in all of this, decides to come and to offer a sacrifice to them as, as gods. And about this time, Paul and Barnabas start to catch on to what's going on. For the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes, which was a sign of horror. They rent their clothes, and they ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions as unto you, with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their ways. Nevertheless, he left us not to ourselves without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. You know what's interesting here? He declares to them who the true God is. Now this is really an interesting sermon. We don't have time to dissect it this morning. But you want a little thing, fun thing to do? Is go home and compare the sermon recorded in chapter 13 to the sermon recorded in chapter 14. The sermon preached in chapter 13 was to the Jews. And the sermon preached in chapter 14 are to Gentiles. The one sermon recounts all kinds of Jewish history, showing how Jesus is the Messiah throughout history. This sermon here does recount history, beginning with who God is as the creator. You see, these people had 
The Jews had a focus of understanding a concept of God, at least, a Jewish concept. These people's concept of God were Jupiter and Mercurius. And in this case, Paul had to interact with them in a different way. The gospel didn't change, but his interaction of what he presumed they knew was different. He bounces back to God as the creator. Well, as it continues on, they restrained the people. They were able to stop them from worshiping them, that the people had not done sacrifice unto them. But then verse 19, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. The first missionary is stoned, drug out of the city, supposed dead. Now, you know, this is kind of intriguing to me. This is a pretty big event, and it just kind of is there, and then the narration moves on. You know what it means to get stoned? I mean, it means they, they didn't take pebbles and go, dit, 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 dit. No, they, they, they took rocks. In fact, actually, sometimes boulders. Oftentimes, the way they would do it is they would actually take giant stones and they'd put it down on top of the person to pin them in one place. And then they'd take the smaller stones and they'd stone them to death. That's what they did to Paul to the point where they thought he was dead. That's pretty extreme. They drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, look at the contrast of this. What's going on in this picture? They're trying to worship them. And what's going on in this picture? They've stoned him. They think to death. Oh, the fickleness of people. Does it remind you of someone else? All in one week, Jesus came into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, save us. Glory to God in the highest. And within a week, some of that same crowd was crying, Crucify him! Crucify him! We are the servants of Christ, and Jesus said that the servants are not greater than his Lord. Paul wrote later to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Sometimes Christianity, we are looking for, oh, this happy, joyful, peaceful life. It is a joyful, peaceful life, but the happiness always isn't there. The happenings are not always pleasant, but there is peace and joy in the midst of it. Your Paul was supposed dead, dragged outside of the city. But then, interestingly, it says, albeit, verse 20, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up. He rose up. 
and came into the city. And the next day, departed with Barnabas to Derbe. I wonder what all of those people who had just seen him stoned saw him coming into the city. You know, you might be imagining that as coming into the city. You know what that probably looked more like? Now, there is a possibility that he was healed and healed completely. But it doesn't say that. His body could have still had all of the bruises, the broken bones, the tortured body from being stoned, wounds that he would carry for the rest of his life. There's no evidence that Paul had any kind of miracle performed upon him. In fact, later we find he had thorns in the flesh. Maybe this is where they came from, this horrific stoning. But again here, they left. They were at Iconium when all of this happened, and so now here they leave. They go to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, there it is. See, there's not a lot of details to what they did here in Lystra and in Derby. There's not a lot of detail given as to what they did. But what is it that they did? They preached the gospel and taught many. This is, again, what missionaries go forth to do. This is what we do in our own Jerusalem. You know what I mean by that? In our own home, our own place. We, too, need to be doing this. Well, when they finish this, so all that's recorded there in Derby is this. It says that then they returned to Lystra, and um, Lystra, the red line back, and Iconium, and Antioch. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, guys. Are you crazy? Aren't the people at Antioch going from like, Antioch to Iconium to stir up the people to kill you? Didn't you actually end up actually getting stoned and having to run from these places? Are you crazy going back to those places? How many of you think he was crazy? Nobody? Uh, crazy is a relative term, isn't it? You know why he went back? He had a mission. He was a missionary. He had a mission, and there were some things that needed to be done. He had preached the gospel in those places, but you know, missionaries' jobs are not just the gospel to share the gospel. It is also a teaching. And look what's described as to what he did. He went back because he was confirming the souls of the disciples. He hadn't had an opportunity to teach them all things whatsoever Christ had commanded them. He was confirming them, and he was exhorting them to continue in the faith. You know why? Because he knew that there was great temptation to abandon it. Why? Well, because Paul wasn't the only one being pursued to be stoned. For in fact, it says here that one of the, he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. I'll be honest, I have a hard time identifying with these people. Perhaps you do too. But you know, as we consider our missionaries, sometimes they're placed in situations like this. We need to certainly pray for them. And not only the missionaries, 
Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters around the world today, because of the simple fact that they believe in Jesus, are hated, are hunted, are persecuted, sometimes by their own family, just because they believe in Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're exhorting them, comforting them, confirming them. But you know, there was another thing. There were some things wanting. You know what that word means? We find it over in Titus. It means that things aren't quite complete. They aren't quite the way they should be. It's incomplete. Well, you know, there needed to be churches established. You see, preaching the gospel, a missionary's job is not just to preach the gospel. It's also to disciple, to teach them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded them. And it's also the establishment of local churches. How is that here described? For here, they, when they had ordained them elders in every church, there were needing to be churches established and elders to be ordained in every church. This was really important. Churches need pastors, elders. Another word for them is bishops. They need them. And this was a thing that was, later we find out in Crete, was a thing that was wanting. That's why he left Titus there. And so here, that's what he does here. And then he prays with them, with fasting. And they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Praying, fasting, commending to the Lord. This is interesting. You know, Paul sometimes spoke of those whom he led to Christ as if they were his dear children. In fact, Timothy was like his son. You know, I think it was hard for Paul to move on. I think he wanted to stay. But he knew God had other things for him. And in that, yes, he made sure there were elders ordained, shepherds, pastors, overseers. Then he prayed with them, with fasting, and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. He gave them over to God. You know, there comes a time in all of our lives when we have to do that sometimes with people for different reasons. Sometimes it's because they move away. Sometimes it's because we move away. Sometimes it's because they won't listen anymore. We have to commend them to the Lord. And that's what Paul did here. Is to the Lord on whom they believed. Then after they had passed through Pisidia, they're coming back home. They came to Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, which is a port city. And from thence, they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. That was the church that sent them back in chapter 13, early part of it, church at Antioch. 
the church that had sent them, the church that had recommended them to the grace of God for the work whereunto the Holy Spirit had called them. They come back to that place. And you know what they did? When they were come, they gathered the church together and they rehearsed all they had God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You know, that church there, I believe were rejoicing along with them as they had a part in their ministry and sending them forth. And so there, Paul and Barnabas, there they abode a long time with the disciples. That is the first missionary journey. We look back at Paul and we see that, and we continue in this day. There's two main lessons that we learn from it, in a way doctrinally, but also practically. One is, is that we've got a commission. We have a mission, and it's to spread the gospel. It's to see is to see people saved, to see people discipled, that is taught to observe all things Jesus has commanded, to see churches started. This is the passion. It's a multiplicity. It goes to the uttermost part of the earth. And it begins with us and our own daily lives, ourselves, preaching the gospel. And it goes to us, some of us, being called to go to other places, maybe across town, maybe to the uttermost part of the earth, to preach the gospel, to disciple people, to see churches planted. And sometimes we partner with those who go. That's kind of why we've jumped here, in spite of our study in the Old Testament, we've jumped to these two chapters in Acts, is because we as a church are in that, where Matt and Anna Reisinger believe the Lord is calling them to serve as missionaries in West Africa. And we want to consider them with prayer and fasting, as they have believed themselves to be set apart unto the Lord. And do we, with prayer and fasting, recognize that as well? That we can recommend them to the grace of God and that we can send them forth, recognizing that they have been set apart of the Holy Spirit unto this mission. And we'll then continue in faithful prayer for them as they go forth to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to plant churches, to see elders ordained in every church, to see the saints confirmed. And will we look for the time when they can come back and share of how the grace of God, to which they had been recommended, had brought about and helped them to fulfill that which God had called them to. And so let's consider that, but at the same time we consider that for Matt and Anna. Let's consider ourselves. And so I give you two questions. Who today, who this week, will you seek out to share the gospel with that you know you need to share the gospel with? And will you today commit that in those divine appointments, those times when God brings someone across your path, you will wax bold, not in your self-strength, but in the Holy Spirit's strength, to share the gospel with them? And will you also not resist the Spirit if he's saying to separate you, to go to yet some other place, to continue that mission. We have a mission. Will we stick to it? Will we be faithful in it? Also, I encourage you, as a family, reread Acts chapter 13 and 14 this week. Reread it. Consider, look for things, how you can apply in your life. Come back next week and be prepared to share some things. Can you do that for me? Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you and glorify you. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. You 
have given us a purpose and a cause. May we be faithful to obey. Faithful witnesses for you. May we wax bold in your spirit and in your grace that you might glorify yourself through us. Pray these things in your name. Amen.